Okay, I've got a confession to make. Um, first, uh, but before I make the confession, can I get a quick show of hands? How many of you have ever made up a Christmas gift list? Raise your hand. Okay, how ma- keep your hands up. How many of you still make a Christmas gift list? Wow, okay. All right, you can put your hands down. I feel safe. Uh, my confession was, is I'm 50-something. And uh, I still make a Christmas gift list, and I still email it to my mom. She asks me every every year for it. It's so, I don't care. I'm a mama's boy, I guess. All right, so whatever. Okay, do you remember what it was like the first time, though, you, like when you were a small child and you, you wrote a letter or a card to Santa, and you, you asked him what you wanted? And I went searching online this week, and I found a few good ones. This actually was an, an adult who wrote Santa, and here's what the adult wrote. Dear Santa... This year, please give me a big, fat bank account and a skinny body. And please don't mix those two up like you did last year. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's what I sent him. No, I'm just playing. Okay. And then here's what a child wrote. And kids are kind of, kids are funny. They're just so random. I get a kick out of them. So this was a, chi- a little boy. He says, Dear Santa... I wanted to tell you I'm fine. I just kind of, I mean, what is he, only child or what? I mean, he's like, dear Santa, I wanted to tell you I'm fine. And then he goes, I don't know if you can. Could you possibly make it so I can turn into a dragon, please? Or give me a pet dragon? Either one. Though I would like it if you could turn me into a dragon. And then he says, P.S., have a happy Valentine's Day? I mean, clearly this child's a bit confused about holidays. Um, it's, it's hilarious things that kids wish for when they feel like they can wish for anything. You know, like, I want to be a dragon, or I want to be a 49er. Like, why? You know? You know? So, so what's, <laughs> what's on your list? What do you want most this Christmas if you could have anything? And have you noticed how their family members are all very different? Like, somehow they make up, like, really practical lists if they send you a list, like, They'll, they'll put like yard tools, I'd like a shovel, wooden shovel, or you know stuff from the, for the kitchen, or they'll just put socks or underwear. You know you're really old when you put that on there. Um, other family members, they'll, they'll say you know, things like, I want a Beats noise-canceling headphones, or a Chanel purse, or something like that. And then there's, uh, there's those family members that kind of analyze whatever they get, like there's some kind of statement behind it, you know. They open up the gift, and they wonder why you got it for them. And, and I remember one year, my, my brother and I went in together, and we bought my dad this piece of art, and it was this really cool brass eagle that you put on your desk. And my dad was just, like, he wouldn't let it go. He was, like, convinced that our motive for buying him this is that it would outlast him and that we would get it back in the inheritance. I'm like, Dad, no, we didn't do that. Um, one of my favorite all-times movie is uh, It's a Wonderful Life. And I love the story. I love the story how through one man's life, through all the unexpected twists and turns of his life, he discovers what truly matters most. Life is wonderful. Life is wonderful. How many of you have noticed that the older that you get, that what you, what you want most tends to become something less of some kind of material gift? You want more of those meaningful experiences, those moments of love with the people that you love, the deeper things. And so this week and next, we're going to talk about, this is a two-part Christmas talk series about It's a Wonderful Life, looking at what it means to live a wonderful life. Life goes on 
even when it's Christmas. We all have lots of memories when it comes to Christmas. And for some of us, those are joyful memories. For some, they're sad. For some, they're painful. And I remember one Christmas in particular that uh, really got Tracy and I thinking about how wonderful life is. Uh, Our son Isaac, our youngest son, when he was 13 years old, Isaac was born with cerebral palsy. And uh, by, by the age of 13, he'd had multiple surgeries where they had to lengthen the uh, Achilles cord in his heel to try to get his feet to go flat. But over the 13 years, uh, one of his legs, his left leg, had begun to twist and his foot to the point where his foot was literally facing backwards. And so he was having surgery that Christmas at Shriners Hospital, a brand new hospital in uh, Sacramento. And the surgery required that they multiple things. They literally cut, severed the hamstring in his leg. Then they cut the tendon in his calf to lengthen his heel so it would go down flat. Then they cut the leg bone in half and rotated his leg. And then they placed a two-inch to six-inch plate on the side, and they bolted his leg back together. And the surgery went went really well. And, and we were just so thankful that Christmas for an organization like Shriners, who, because of their generosity, it made this really important surgery possible for our family. We were living in a small town called Lincoln, and our income and pastoring was, we were barely making enough to to meet our family's basic needs, let alone a really expensive surgery like this. And the Shriners Hospital uh, that we went to, it it was brand new. It was really, really warm. You know, I don't know about you, you go into a lot of these hospitals, it's like a mortuary. It's just white walls and tile, and it's cold. You're freezing just walking through the hallway. But this was a beautiful beautiful hospital, warm carpet, warm walls. And in this lobby area that you walked in was this gigantic uh, Christmas tree. That, and, and there was this sound of Christmas music that was kind of floating down all the, all the hallways. And after the surgery, I remember sitting next to Isaac's bed and I was holding his hand and I was counting my blessings. And, and what a blessing from God, I thought, to be entrusted to care for a special needs child. And so as I sat there holding his little hand, the, the Christmas music in the background kind of began to fade, and, 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 and my heart was filled with this wonderful thought, life is wonderful. Life is wonderful. And, 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 and as if Isaac's surgery wasn't enough to be thankful for that particular Christmas, it was three weeks earlier that my mother's life had been spared. Uh, while doing an ultrasound for gallstones in her gallbladder, they had discovered a cancerous tumor uh, there in her right kidney, and the cancerous tumor uh, would have silently killed her over time within one to five years, but the gallbladder symptoms uh, served as an alarm to reveal a much bigger problem. And it was one of those seasons where you realize so much uh, could have gone so bad, so wrong, but by God's grace, so much had gone well. And I remember feeling like George Bailey from the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, where at the end of the movie, you know, he gets this gift that, that he gets to see the impact of his life. And what would it, what would it be like to, um, to have never been born and not, not see the impact of your life and not be aware of it? And very few people get that gift. But at the end of the movie, the whole town kind of gathers around there at their home, and, and George has been rescued by all of the community together, his company and his family's home. And he's able to see the gratitude of the community and their return generosity to him for the way he's lived his life. Now, not every one of us gets an opportunity to see that kind of thing. In fact, 
if I were God, I, that's one of the gifts I'd like to give to everybody because I think very few of us are aware of how important each and every one of your lives really are and how much they really matter to the people that are around you because most of us are not really good at expressing that love or the depth of our love and genuine care for one another. But that Christmas, apart from the, the health of our family, the greatest gift was seeing the generosity of our church family that kind of rallied around us and supported us. And so that Christmas was filled with gratitude because we had so much to be thankful for. Yet this is a season when many people are not content during the month of December. And they're reflecting on all the things that they don't have or, or, or whatever it is that they wish was different. And, and some of us, no matter what the year's been like, uh, we're not content. But contentment comes when we realize that God has provided everything we need for our present happiness. That we live in a world that tells us enough is never enough. That you can, you know, you can have one more, one more product, one more purchase, or, or you're just one person away from what you really need for happiness. And it all starts innocently enough. I remember when I was a small child, McDonald's was a big deal, and I, I was told that all I needed was a Happy Meal and a toy. And uh, have you ever tried to buy some Happy? You know what I'm talking about? You know, just try to buy some Happy and feel better for a moment, and then it goes away. And so I want to talk about this. You can take notes on your smartphone or wherever you want, but here's four things to know about contentment. The first thing is, is that contentment is a mindset. In Philippians 4, verse 11, it says, I've learned how to get along happily whether I have much or little. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of contentment. Contentment is an attitude of heart. It's a way of looking at life that must be a purposeful practice. You see, contentment is a choice that I make in the morning, mid-morning, at noon, mid-afternoon, evening, when I lay my head down on the pillow at night, and when I start all over again. It is a practice, a discipline, if you will. It's a way of viewing your world and your life. It's a choice in your mind given two thoughts, one of contentment and one of dissatisfaction, that you literally choose contentment. Contentment is not a result of your circumstances. It's not about whether or not you have a loved one in a hospital or a mom that almost died. Contentment is an inside job. Helen Keller, who was born blind, she said these words, everything has its wonders, even darkness and silence. And I learn whatever state I may be in, therein too be content. Contentment is a learned behavior. It's a choice. It's an attitude to be cultivated from our own personal view of our lives. It's not a wonderful life because everything is easy or because everything goes your way or because you don't have a list of all the things that you wish would be different. It's a wonderful life because life is filled with wonder. Does the person with $10 million have more contentment than someone who has 10 children? The correct answer is no. The millionaire has less contentment because he always wants more, while anyone with 10 children usually does not want any more. It's like the southern lady who had her first child and named him Eenie, and then she had a second child and named him Meanie, and then she had a third child and named him Miney, 
And then she had a fourth child and named him George, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. And the neighbor says, honey, why did you name your kids eeny, meeny, miny, mo and George? And the mom said, because I don't want no more. <laughs> it's a wonderful life when you're not always wanting more. Howard Hughes, the world-famous billionaire, was once asked, you have so much money, how much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. I believe contentment is a wonderful thing because it frees you from dissatisfaction. Contentment is not having what you want, but wanting what you have. I am now going to speak to a very small group of people in this room who will remember a commercial. It's one of my favorite all-time commercials, and in this commercial, it was called the Nest Tea Plunge. And the commercial opens with this guy standing by a swimming pool on the edge of the swimming pool, and the pool's behind him, and he's got this glass of iced tea, and there's little beads of water that are trickling down this glass of iced tea. It's cold. It's frosty. It looks amazing. And, and the weather is just sweltering hot, and he's dripping with perspiration, and behind him is this cool, refreshing pool. And what he does is he takes this drink, and, 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 and he experiences this, this total commitment or uh, contentment as he takes this drink, and then he falls backward into this cool, refreshing pool of water. And as he's falling backwards, he says with a satisfied smile, he goes, ah. Okay, on the count of three, I want you to say ah with me, okay? One, two, three, ah. Okay, now, now we're going to really say it this time. One, two, three, Ah, all right. Stop for a moment with me this week. And throughout your week, say, ah. Just pause. Just relax. Say it with such deep satisfaction. Exaggerate it. That's what contented people say a lot. They say, ah. That night, I went into the, uh, into the lobby of the hospital for a break, and, and then I walked back down the hallway to, to Isaac's room, and he was there in his hospital bed, and, and they were just disconnecting all of the tubes and all the wires from his body, and I remember walking over and fluffing up his pillow behind his head, and he had this cute little body with his little robe, and his robe's all bunched up, and so I'm pulling it out from underneath him and straightening it, and then I go over and I get the TV, and I roll it over to the foot of his bed, and turn on the video games and hand him the controls. And as I walked out of the room, I just said, ah, oh, you know that sigh where there's a just, ah, oh, thank you. He's doing better. What an intense surgery. Thank you, God. Practice contentment and saying, ah, oh, this week. Every chance you get, say, ah. Oh. When you sit down to a home-cooked meal, just say, ah. When you finish your prayer, say, amen. When you climb into your car and you put that key into the ignition and it starts and it's a really cold morning, ah, it started. You know, when you find yourself in traffic and it's bumper to bumper around here, find that really nice radio station, the Christmas music, lean back, relax, and just go, ah. There's nothing I can do about this, right? When you arrive home, put the key in the lock of the front door and you turn it, and it's those first few steps into your home. And as you, as you just enter your home, just stop and just say, ah, oh, I'm home. I'm home. It's a wonderful life when your mindset is on being content. Number two, speak optimistically about your challenges. 
Notice I call them challenges instead of problems and issues. Even that helps, just changing your terminology to challenges, to view your situation with a less negative twist and attitude towards, towards it. When I first began to speak of my mom's cancer to people that I knew, I said to everyone, it's a very hopeful situation. I would say, my mom has cancer, but it's a very hopeful situation. As cancer goes, it's one of the best scenarios. After Isaac's three-hour surgery, the doctor comes out to greet our family and all of our friends in the waiting room. And when the doctor finished his report and told everybody, I said, well, well, things are on their way back to normal. You may have financial problems at the end of the year, but you can tell people, yes, you know, we've got our struggles, but I've got a plan next year. I know what I'm going to do, and I'm going to enroll in Financial Peace University when Brave Church offers it in February. I'm going to learn. I'm going to grow. I'm going I'm to look for a better job. I'm going to learn a new trade. You know, whatever it takes, I'm going to change my circumstances, my challenges, my situations. You know, it's oftentimes we look at situations as if we have no control, like we have no action that we can take. Maybe a friend notices how hard your marriage has been, but how you speak well about her and him, how you respond well, how you say things like, you know, you don't say things like, you know, my spouse is a mess, you know, or whatever, right? You say, yes, we're having our challenges, but we're changing, and we're going to have a better future together. And you speak those words of life and not death. Being positive doesn't mean you're avoiding reality. A lot of people struggle to be content because they take their realism to an unhealthy extreme and become pessimistic. Pessimistic attitudes that say, you know what, I can never be content because no matter how good it is, there's always something. I go through the, the list of all the things that need to happen, and then I create a whole other new list, and you never get off the treadmill. The joy of a wonderful life gets robbed because of the way you live life. If someone says, you know what, you've got bad breath, just say, well, do you have any gum? I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Stop it. All right, we've all, we've all got our issues. All right. Uh, <laughs> Ralph Waldo Emerson said, difficulties exist to be surmounted. Practice being grateful. Practice looking for the good. Practice using positive words to describe your reality, words that are infused with hope. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's easy to be thankful for good gifts, but to cultivate gratefulness for bad gifts. You know, every year there's always these Christmas parties and family Christmas parties and things like that where they do the Christmas exchange thing. Have you ever done that? You know what I'm talking about where, where you buy a gift, it's $10 or $20 or whatever, you wrap it and then you get in a circle and you put all the gifts in the middle, right? And then there's these rules where you can pick a gift and unwrap it, but once it's opened, it can only be passed so many times. And so basically what this, what this game involves is swapping gifts, then they're stealing and then very aggressive behavior. And our family used to do this every year, our, ex our extended family. So it was a very big circle, and we would go around the circle. And, and if it was your turn, okay, do I want to open this unknown gift, or do I want to steal it from, you know, my nana or whatever? How, you know, what do I want to do? And every year, every year, someone gets stuck with a bummer gift. 
I mean, every year, I mean, the gift that nobody wants. And I, and I think to myself, why? Why does someone always buy a bummer gift? Like, where's the IQ level of our family? Like, why, why does every Christmas somebody have to go away with a stupid gift just because it was a dumb gift, right? I mean, what, what were you thinking when you bought the bummer gift that was going to create a bummer for somebody's Christmas, right? And yet, and yet you did that, you know? In life, there's always somebody who always has a worse day than you. But some days, you know, bad days, they, they, they become more and more miserable. We take the day and we make it worse than it is by the way that we rehearse hysterically our day. The opposite of being content is complaining. And as, a, as adults, we get very sophisticated with our complaining. We, we couch it as if it's somebody else's, we, make, we, we, we cast suspicion on somebody else in some way, when in reality, all we're doing is being a complainer. And so I wrote down uh, four different, uh, four, four complainers, four general groups of complaining, and I actually thought of more after I wrote this, but here's some complainer types. There's the whiner, who always say it's not fair, whiner. There's the martyr, no one appreciates me. You have no idea what I do around here. The cynic, nothing will ever change. So, you know, it's just never going to change. The perfectionist is, yeah, but, it, but it's not the way it could be. It's not the way it should be. All four mindsets have the capacity to drain the oasis of contentment right out of our lives. The third thing is, take in Every ah moment that comes your way. What are ah moments? I remember when Isaac was in the hospital after his surgery and my, my parents stopped by with this brown bag and my mom was really excited. And she goes, look, look. And she pulls out of the bag, it's this like flannel blue and green checkered sweatpants. And she's pulling them out of the bag. But these were not just any sweatpants. These sweatpants had been made, handmade by a friend of ours, and she had sewn and created it so that the left leg for Isaac was much wider so that he could fit it over his cast. And then she had created a Velcro strip all the way down the side so he could get in and out of it and so he could open it up and adjust it and let air in. But then the greatest moment of all that occurred is when my mom goes, look, look, look inside of, on the waist, look in the label on the back part of the sweatpants. And she goes, look at this. And I look at it and I'll never forget it. I can see it right now. There's this hand-sewn tag inside that says, designed especially for you. Oh, what a gift. Who does that? For somebody else's kid, all that time, all that effort, all that thoughtfulness, and my, my, my heart just went, ah, those, those are moments, those are times that are so sweet. But you know what? I think there are many moments that are all different sizes of ah moments that happen to us throughout our day. But here's what I've learned is the moments of ah are healing for your heart. They refresh your soul at a deep level. It might be a tender moment of just a, a brief pause when you look into the eyes of the person that you love and you just say, I love you, honey. It might be when a friend stops, puts down his or her fork, looks across the table at you and just says this whole unexpected 
words of affirmation and, and, and has this, creates this moment as a friend where they affirm you and they encourage you. It could be just that little thoughtful, really inexpensive gift that's so meaningful just because you can't believe that somebody else actually noticed something so insignificant. In May, it was, it was May 2001, uh, we went with my parents on vacation back east to the White House and traveled all back there. And, and as part of our trip, we visited the house or the home of Thomas Jefferson at uh, Monticello. And there on the grounds was this really amazing gift shop. Uh, and, and so I was in this gift shop. And there's all kinds of books. And I'm a reader. I love biographies. I love hardbacks. Please don't ever buy me a paperback. It's, it's a weird thing for me. But I really like hardbacks. I love biographies and reading about great people. And, and so I came across this amazing book, and it was called George Washington, The Character and Influence of One Man. And I was just struck by the book, and I'm looking at it, and I, I just mentioned, man, I'd like to own this someday. It was one of those really expensive, it was like a $75 book or something. So I put it down. Last year, last Christmas, 2014, I open a gift, and here's this book. 13 years later, George Washington, The Character and the Influence of One Man. I look up, I ask my mom, Mom, how did you remember that I wanted this book? And she says, without any fanfare, just, <laughs> you got to know my mom, she's so sweet. She goes, oh, I just had written it down on a piece of paper, the name of the book and the ISBN number, <laughs> so that I could track it down later and order it for you. And I kept it in my wallet and moved it from wallet to wallet. Mom, how long have you kept this piece of paper in your wallet and moved it from wallet to wallet? She goes, 13 years. And I go, oh, what a mom. Now, only if my dad could be like her. No. <laughs> I'm only kidding, Dad. He listens online, so that was for him. The fourth thing about what you want to know about contentment, pursue that which satisfies the soul. Matthew 6, 31. Do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Contentment, I believe with all of my heart, is a byproduct of a life that's fully focused on God in every arena of your life. Your finances, your time, the way you spend your time, everything people who are ultimately focused on the big picture of heaven and their affections are not just on this earth, but what God is doing throughout eternity, they experience more commitment, more contentment than any other person because of their commitment. Commitment to something that's bigger than themselves. Let's begin with, life begins and ends with this question. Do I believe in God and do I know God? If you know him, then over the years, your relationship with him grows sweeter and sweeter, and you become more contented, and life is wonderful. The psalmist said this in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He restores my soul. What restores your soul? There are moments of awe. God, that's so good. What will satisfy your soul during this holiday season? What makes you say, Oh, God, that's so good. 
Joy comes from drawing closer to God. Everything you need is in his presence. The scripture says in Psalm 65, this is so interesting because we always talk about the churches in a building, and that's true, it's not. It's us gathered together, and yet there's something about gathering here on Sunday. And the scripture says, what joy for those you choose to bring near, those who live in your holy courts. I remember as a as a young man, I used to vacuum the church. I just wanted to do that. And I remember just vac- just being in the church. It was symbolic for me of a greater presence. And then it goes on, it says, what joys await us inside your holy temple? A life without God is full of things which leave us at the end of the day unsatisfied and wanting more. Back at the hospital on that Christmas night, for the first time, Isaac had just gotten out of his hospital bed on his own power, and he was able to walk with a walker. And it was like, oh, this is great. And then I had a friend stop by the hospital. She's Filipino, and she made us Filipino food. Oh. I mean, I mean, here it is all these years later, and I was like, oh, Filipino food. Ah, oh, it's a wonderful life when you're content. Remember, Contentment is a mindset. You get to choose. Speak optimistically about your challenges. Take in every awe moment that comes your way. Let it heal you. Let it heal your soul. And pursue that which satisfies the soul. Try it this week. Look for all the awe moments in your life around you and just drink them in. This is what God meant when he wrote these words through the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for a wonderful life. Thank you for all the ways that you've worked through all the things in our life for good. Thank you for the awe moments that we've experienced already today and are going to experience throughout our day. Thank you for the awe moments that are all around us this week. We are so grateful as a people. We love you, Jesus. Amen.